We have the great privilege now of turning to the New Testament and looking at this series that we're calling Conversations with Jesus. Did you know that in the Gospels alone, there are more than 40 recorded conversations that Jesus has with people? And we're going to, over the next six weeks, look at six of some of the most well-known and famous of those conversations. Conversations that Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, had with people like you and me. Meeting people right where they're at, uh, addressing concerns and and fears and, and questions that they have, and sometimes with grace and love, sharing answers of hope and encouragement, and other times, in times of confrontation, speaking sternly uh, to the critics and to those that sought to destroy the work of, of Christ and his ministry on earth. And so for these next six weeks, we're going to look at what it's like to have a conversation with Jesus. But we need to recognize, even before we get there, that God has uniquely gifted us He's uniquely empowered us. He's uniquely given us opportunity to engage with one another in conversation. Jesus showed us this and modeled this for us throughout his life and his ministry. And there's much we can learn from how Jesus engaged in his conversations with people all around him. But when we talk about conversations, it's good to help define, if you will, what it is. Now, I know we, we know what conversations are because we have conversations all the time. But Webster defines conversations, simply put, as a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news, ideas, and thoughts are exchanged. And that's exactly what we're going to see Jesus do. It's going to be an informal conversation. These are not speeches by Jesus. These are not sermons by Jesus. These are free-flowing conversations between sometimes Jesus and one other person, other times Jesus and a group, or other times even Jesus in a crowd. What we're going to focus in on primarily is his conversations, his one-on-one conversations with people. And what our hope and prayer is, is that we will put ourselves into that person's shoes. That we would engage in this series asking the question, what if Jesus was talking to me about such things? What if Jesus was to ask me about that? What if Jesus was to call me to that? How would I respond? How would I respond if I found myself in the shoes of that individual that Jesus encountered or approached? Maybe I have some similarities to that individual with regards to a checkered past or a, a failure in my life. And we are going to ask God to speak through these conversations just as they did in the first century to today. And what I'm hoping we will learn What I'm hoping that we'll walk away from is that we understand the power of conversations. That we will understand in a world that conversation seemingly is not as big as it used to be, that we would understand that God has given us great power to speak into other people's lives, to listen and give people time to communicate about who they are and about what their fears and and concerns may be. It has been said this way. In fact, Julian Treasure put it this way. The human voice... It's the instrument that we all play. It is the most powerful sound in the world, for it is the only one that can start a war or say, I love you, 
We have great power in our words. I can tell you that I am standing where I am today, and I am the man who I am today, uh, partly because of a very powerful conversation I had years ago when I was 14 years of age with my youth pastor. And that conversation, sitting alongside a lake and having just a very intimate and, and deep conversation with a person who loved me and cared about me, who spoke words of truth into me when I was believing a lot of lies, would send a trajectory, my trajectory, in a direction I never would have thought and I have been forever blessed as a result of that conversation. And forever grateful for another individual sitting down and giving me the time in the relational space to be able to be who I am and to speak truth into my life. And that's true for so many of us. We have had moments or, or times where we've been able to interact with someone and we've walked away a different person. My hope and prayer is that as we encounter Jesus in each of these scenarios, that we will be changed. Now here's the amazing thing. This is an introduction, and so we will get to, by the way, uh, our text this morning at the latter part of my message. I want to set some uh, groundwork and foundation for what we're doing and where we're going. And so the first thing I want you to know and recognize is, is that when we talk about these conversations with Jesus, get into your mind how absolutely amazing it must have been. To talk with Jesus, to have Jesus speak to where you're at, to what you're concerned about, to what's going on in your life. Now, remember, Jesus is the God of the universe. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He is the sustainer of of the cosmos. And that he would stoop down and put on flesh and make his dwelling among us and give time and attention to different individuals, some deeply religious and educated, others very uh, unlearned, and quite frankly, in a whole bunch of trouble. But Jesus would give time. He would give time, even though he was infinite in his wisdom. He would give people who lacked knowledge an opportunity to speak. Though he was perfect, he went to imperfect people. Though he was sinless, he went to sinners and gave those people an opportunity to speak on their behalf. Amidst their foolish thinking, even harebrained ideas, Jesus was patient enough to listen, to listen, and then to share words of truth. Now we see this, and give you just a way of example, Jesus does this numerous times. We see it in John chapter 3, when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, trying to understand what it means to have eternal life. He does it in John chapter 4, with the Samaritan woman at the well, who has a past and wants to know where she can find living water. He does it with a mom, the sons of, uh, the mom of the sons of Zebedee, James and, and John. This mom thinks that her boys in the kingdom should have thrones next to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't shut her down. Jesus doesn't tell her to be quiet. But he teaches her that if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you have to be last. You see, Jesus has these conversations amidst all kinds of scenarios and all kinds of situations. He'll talk to a sister who's mad that the other sister isn't doing her part and instead is sitting and listening to Jesus. Jesus will share words of grace to a woman in John chapter 8 who's caught in adultery, who's caught in the very act, and he would tell her to sin no more. Jesus has words of grace, but we also recognize Jesus also spoke words of stinging indictment. He would call the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, dead men's graves, 
And he would tell them in very clear sense that they were leading people astray. They were the blind leading the blind. Amidst each of these conversations, we learn so much about ourselves. We learn so much about our God. This morning, we're going to look at three would-be disciples in our second point. Three would-be disciples who said they wanted to follow God, but had an excuse. And so this morning, let's read Luke chapter 9. Verses 57 through 62, and then like I said, I want to use my first point to lay a great foundation for where we're going, and then we'll look at in our second point, uh, our text more specifically. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, and they were going along the road, and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three conversations, one theme, and one opportunity to hear from our God. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. We'll jump right in. Father God, we ask for your blessing on the time in your word. Thank you so much for bringing us here, for leading us in worship, for reminding us who you are and what you're all about. Now, Lord, speak to us so that we might be able to hear you and do as you've called us to do to be who you've called us to be, so that we might not only experience a life um, in abundance through you, but we might give you the great glory for what you're doing in our midst. We love you and ask for your blessing in our time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two points this morning. Point number one, why is this series so important? And point number two, what is Jesus saying about discipleship? That's where I want to go, and I'm going to keep it as short as possible to get to that end. Everybody say amen. All right, first of all, why is this series so important? We need to recognize that there is an importance to what we're doing. Now, each series we do is important, and each series has great productivity, but I'm here to tell you any time that we can turn our attention to Jesus, that's a good day. Now, I'm not saying anything against Amos or in our study of the book of Acts with Peter, Paul, and John, but there's something about looking specifically at the life and listening to the teachings of Jesus that get me excited. We're not working through a middleman. We are getting to hear Jesus once and for all from his own mouth. Second, we see in the life of Jesus the life we are to model. And so here we are being able to look at the original, if you will, and to copy from that what Jesus has done. Again, nothing off of any of the prophets and apostles, but anytime we can go to the very individual, the one true God, Jesus Christ, it does a church well. But why a series on conversations? We know how to talk. We know how to have conversations. We're adults. We've got this thing down. Why in the world would we want to invest some time here? I want to give you a handful of reasons that I want to share with you why this series is so important. Number one, it will help us to reorient our culture. To reorient our culture. We live in a time and in a society where conversing with others is a dying art. It's dying. 
And I don't mean to be melodramatic, but as I watch the young people interact today, they're not conversing, especially in the ways we once did. They're conversing in a different way, and the time will tell if it's a better way or not. But it has caused this movement in society, many books that have been written, and one book particular that I've spent some time in is the book Reclaiming Conversation by a woman named Sherry Turkle from MIT. And she writes, and she's a political science and social science professor, and she says the following about why writing a book on conversation. Why a book on conversation? We're talking all the time. We text and we post and we chat. We may even begin to feel more at home in the world of our screens. Among family and friends, among colleagues and lovers, we turn to our phones instead of each other. We readily admit we would rather send an electronic message or mail than commit to a face-to-face meeting or a telephone call. This mediated life has gotten us into trouble. Face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard, of being understood. But these days, we find ways around conversation. We hide from each other, even as we're constantly connected to each other. For on our screens, we are tempted to present ourselves as we would like to be. Of course, performance is a part of any meeting, anywhere. But online and at our leisure, it's easy to compose, to edit, to improve as we revise. This all ends up to a flight from conversation, at least from a conversation that's open-ended and spontaneous, conversation in which we play with ideas, in which we allow ourselves to be fully present and vulnerable. Yet these are the conversations where empathy and intimacy flourish and social action gains strength. These are the conversations in which creative collaborations of education and business thrive. But these conversations require time and space. And we say we're too busy. We're distracted at our dinner tables. We're distracted in our living rooms. We're distracted at our business meetings and on our streets. Can the pastor add and in our churches? Despite the seriousness of our moment, she writes, I write with optimism. Once aware, we can begin to rethink our practices. When we do, conversation is there to reclaim. For the failing connections of our digital world is the talking cure. There's some meat there. Because as you think about it, this is what mom you're thinking about when you tell your kids to put down their devices, right? This is when uh, everybody is on their own screen and nobody's talking at the dinner table. This is where we go out to eat and we see a group of individuals focused in in their digital world and not the person sitting across the table. This is a series that will help the people of God through the modeling of Jesus Christ to recognize and know what it means to live life with one another is to have conversations that impact lives. And our society needs it now more than ever. Communication in the last 20 years has been flipped upside down without getting legalistic. Why is it that Jesus didn't choose this day to be on the earth? With all of the social platforms, with the ability to sit in Galilee and speak to the world through social networking, why did he choose the moment he did in first century Palestine to unleash his life-changing ministry? Because Jesus knew something that we have forgotten. 
That one-on-one conversation, one-on-one interaction, where we are looking each other in the eye, has great opportunity to change and impact lives. But we live in a society where we have begun to devalue the power of words. In fact, today, we want to try to figure out a way to get our message across in 160 characters or less. We don't even like using words anymore. We use memes, vines, and other words that make no sense to this 43-year-old father. Our president has changed the way of politics by unleashing what he calls our tweet storms, communicating to people. All of this to say that our world has changed and what we have given up is face-to-face interaction with one another. And Jesus' message and Jesus' modeling says that is a terrible shame. What Jesus is reminding us is that conversations can change lives. How different would our marriages be? How different would our children be? How different might our families and workplaces be? How different would our politics and communities be if we just took time to talk, to have a conversation? This is a perpetual reminder that Jesus shows us there is a better way. Number two, conversations reflect our love and concern for people. In each one of these conversations, we are going to see Jesus. And never forget this. Don't overextend uh, that Jesus was simply a human without being God. This is the God of the universe. And being the God of the universe, God, Jesus, had many, many things to worry about, many, many things to be concerned about, many, many things on his mind. He was busier than any CEO, more important than any public official, and yet what Jesus shows us is that he is open to spontaneous interactions with people. Jesus didn't have handlers. It sickens me to see more and more of my peers in larger churches who have handlers as watching over them as pastors so that the parishioners don't get too close, as if to bother the pastor that they're called to shepherd. There's something wrong with that when our Savior pushed his disciples away and said, let the children come to me. Don't don't handle me. I want to be engaged in conversations. Strangers were able to get close to Jesus. And it is a reminder of Jesus' love and concern for people. He saw people as harassed and broken down, sheep without a shepherd, and his heart was filled with compassion. And with every one of these conversations, the compassionate heart of Jesus is seen. Number three, it gives us an opportunity to reveal who we are to others. You see, the part that nobody sees is the real us many times. Many times we're hurting. Many times we're scared. Many times we're confused. Many times we've got questions. But nobody ever knows it because we're not talking about it. And I I wonder deep down if that's part of the struggle with with the ballooning of, of depression and anxiety and all that. And I know that's a bigger thing than I even want to get into at this moment. But I wonder if some of it is that we just bottle all this up. That we're not talking about these things. We're not talking about our fears and our concerns and our, and our struggles and our doubts. But what Jesus did is he created an opportunity, a space for people to come to him and to be themselves and to reveal themselves to him. How great would it be if your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and, and fellow students might be able to see you as a trustworthy individual who you can co- be approachable 
And that they can tell you some things that are bothering them. Jesus was altogether approachable. And what Jesus did was not only hear how people, as they revealed themselves to him, but Jesus began to share his heart. And Jesus began to show them what was going on and what he was going to do. He, he did not leave things hidden. He told people who he was and what he was all about. And as a result of that, deep conversations ensued. Conversations about the very essence of who we are and what our purpose is in life and, and how do we serve and honor God. Deep conversations that involve transparency and intimacy. But far too often today, you and I find ourselves in mundane conversations. It's been said by one author that conversation about the weather is the last refuge of the unimaginable or unimaginative, the unimaginative. You see, we default to that. How are the cubs doing? How's the grass growing? How are things going on at work? We really don't want to know, but we got to come up with something that will pass the time. And what God wants us to do is be involved as Jesus shows us in deep conversations. Number, the next one here, I don't know which number I'm on, but the next one is, is it reminds us about our need to engage. Within these 40 conversations that we'll see, Jesus will engage or initiate in the conversations 10 different times. And what Jesus is showing us, what he's modeling for us, is our calling to be on the lookout for opportunities to have conversations. Now, if we want to really model what that looks like, we're going to find ourselves initiating conversations at the local gas station or supermarket with strangers we've never talked with. That's what Jesus does with the woman at the well. He has this chance experience or meeting, if you will, from a human standpoint, and he takes an everyday conversation and he turns it into a spiritual one. And if we want to model what Jesus is doing, our conversation should be leading people to spiritual realities. But there's also this time, 25 of the 40 conversations are initiated by the other party. And that is Jesus was altogether approachable enough. He showed himself to have the space and the margin for people to come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, I have a question. Or Jesus, I want to know more about this. Or Jesus, can you tell me about that? They did not look at Jesus and say, Well, they're too busy or they're too important, or they don't want to listen to what I have to say, or they just look, quite frankly, cranky, and so I'm not going to go to them. And for some of us this morning, the modeling of Jesus is is that he made himself available to people, and quite frankly, when you go to work, nobody wants to be in the area code with you because of the way you portray yourself. That you don't want to talk with anybody, you're just there to get your job done, and we see that while Jesus' job was infinitely more important than ours... He made room for people. Not only his closest friends, but even strangers. God wants us in conversations. But before we think conversations are the end all, let's remember that conversations result in varied outcomes. So here's Jesus, the perfect son of God, engaging in incredible conversation. Jesus doesn't have to worry about a slip of the tongue or a, or a misplaced joke or a uh, misguided piece of advice. Jesus is perfect. He's perfect in his speech. He's perfect in his conversation. But even amidst that, some of Jesus' conversations don't end well with regards to the rich young ruler. He comes and he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to do what Jesus is doing. And Jesus says, here's the answer. He says, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And after that conversation, it is said that the man left sad. 
It wasn't a good end of the conversation. Really, none of the conversations with the Pharisees ended altogether pretty as well. And so we see that even though Jesus is perfect in conversation, that the results aren't always what we may want them to be. And if we are imperfect in conversation, then the temptation or the reality that things may not go as we want them to is even a greater frequency than we might be ready for. And what we will do if you've been a part of some of those conversations, is just give up. I'm not, I'm not talking with anybody anymore. I'm not going to do it. But let's remember that the majority of these conversations that Jesus had yielded great fruit. Jesus talks to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus repents. Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, and the whole Samaritan town changes and gives their life to Christ. Jesus has conversations with numerous people like Peter, After Peter denies Jesus three times on the seashore of Tiberias, Jesus has this conversation with Peter, and Peter is restored, and he's changed forever and dedicates his life to the allegiance of following Jesus. Jesus' conversations, just as ours do, can have great impact in the lives of others. And so we need to be engaged in this process. So, Conversations with Jesus is not a cute way of filling six weeks of teaching. But with each conversation, you are being unveiled a theology of interaction that must be at the heart of every Christ follower. Listen to me very, very carefully. You are not here just to simply intake uh, what's going on on the stage. You are here to relate with people. The church of the living God is not the structure. It is the body of Christ, and we are to interact with it. And so this is a modeling for us as a church of how our conversations should be. They should be deep. They should be um, spontaneous. They should be spiritual, and they should have great impact on all those who are a part of it. Jesus wants us to encounter him in the conversations he had. It would change the lives of people, and he's calling us, and here's why, and then we'll move on to the second point. Here's why conversation is so important. He has called us to be his witnesses, not only in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the world. Witnesses have a job to do, and that is to help me out. What do they got to do? They got to talk, right? And how can we talk about the gospel if we're neophytes in our ability to have conversations of any kind? And so we need to learn how to be conversationalists, how to initiate and how to be receptors to conversations that come our way so that we can be like Jesus, that when the opportunity is right and the Holy Spirit is leading, we might be the witnesses, the talkers about the gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed our life. We need this series so that we may honor God in all that we do, but even more importantly sometimes in all that we say. So, I don't have much time left, and we're supposed to talk about conversations with Jesus. And so I was wondering, what conversation would I go after? Which one? And each one, there's a whole lot of backstory to it, and and I wouldn't have time to do that. And then, as I was reading through the list of conversations that I had written up, I saw Luke chapter 9. Six verses, no backstory, three conversations with three men that Jesus has, seemingly all on one trip to Jerusalem. And from it, we're going to learn what Jesus is saying about discipleship. So let's look at that for a moment. Luke chapter 9, if you want to understand some context, Luke chapter 9 is all about following Jesus Christ. 
It is about confessing Christ as Peter would, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. It is about uh, Jesus following the word, the word and obedience to the Father by going to the cross and enduring all the pain and suffering that would come in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, listen, as I am following the will of my Father, so I want you to follow uh, my will for your lives, to be a follower. And he says in chapter 9, verse 23, that if anyone wants to come after me, they must take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me on a daily basis. And so what is Jesus going to tell these three people? He's going to say some things about discipleship. What's the first thing he's going to say about discipleship? He's going to say, first of all, that we need to recognize about discipleship is we've got a decision to make. Will it be comfort or the cross? Now notice in verse 57, a man approaches Jesus. And here's what he says. Jesus is walking along the road to Jerusalem. Because we learn earlier in the text in chapter 9 that Jesus set his face, verse 51, to go to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the culmination of his ministry. And as he's walking along the road, a man says to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you want me to go. Let's just stop there and say, A plus, dude. For a guy to come up and say that to Jesus, that's awesome. He's one of probably hundreds, if not thousands in the crowd, who have said, you know what, Jesus, wherever you want, I'm giving you a blank check in my life. You go and you lead me and guide me to wherever you want to go, and I will follow. But Jesus' response seems to tell us a little bit more about this man. As this man says, I will follow wherever you go, what would have caused him to have such a desire? What would have caused him to have such a desire? And why is it that Jesus doesn't say, all right, then sign on the dotted line, you're in. All I'm looking for is is people who are willing to follow me, and that's it. But notice Jesus' response. It's a rebuttal. Jesus' response is that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, young man. I'm going to believe this guy to be a young man because of his youthful exuberance to wanting to follow God. That what Jesus is articulating is, listen, from an earthly standpoint, if you want to follow me, I've got nothing to give you. And you need to recognize, if you're going to follow me, that your approach or pursuit in life can't be about earthly possessions. It can't be about earthly comforts. My focus, my intention is to go to the cross, is to lose my life in obedience to the Father so that I might be a ransom for many. And are you going to sign up for that? You see, what I love about Jesus is he is not some dishonest recruiter. He doesn't sell all the good parts of following Christ. He lays out right away, this is what it's going to mean to follow Christ. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You can follow me. He doesn't tell him no. But he says, if you're going to do this, you need to recognize it's more about the cross than it is your comfort. Can I tell you, it is hard for me to preach about not living in comfort. We live in absolute comfort here in America. We do. And I, just like you, live in that comfort. And it's so hard for us to recognize and to hear the words of Jesus that what the cross means is sacrifice. 
It means opening ourselves to pain and sorrow. It means opening ourselves up to the opportunity that men may hate us as we live in obedience to Christ. No part of our humanity wants that. No part of our existence wants to have that kind of pain and suffering. But that's what Jesus is telling this man. It isn't going to be comfortable. It isn't going to be easy. It is going to involve all that I have before me in Jerusalem is pain, sorrow, and anguish. And if you want to walk that journey with me, if you want to carry your cross with me, then you are more than welcome. But I don't want you to think this is going to be a walk in the park. And for some of us, Maybe we were sold a bill of goods. Maybe we were sold, hey, you come to Jesus and your life will be healthy and wealthy and you'll be wise. But nothing but trouble has come. This last week we were at family camp and it was great seeing the teenagers around the campfire and having these deep spiritual moments and seeing young girls and and boys crying and no doubt confessing sin. And I'm all for that and I love that. But those are easy moments in that scenario. But what about when you go back to your schools? What about when you go back to your workplaces and you're the only believer? It's not going to be altogether comfortable because now you're a part of the minority, not the majority. And in that moment, are you going to carry your cross? You see, it's easy to say amen this morning. It's a lot harder to say it when we're at work or in our neighborhoods. Jesus says, don't fall in love with discipleship because you think it will be comfortable. Recognize the calling of discipleship is about the cross. Notice in verse 59 and 60, another man speaks up. Well, even before that, uh, Jesus speaks to a man. And it says to another, Jesus says, this is Jesus now initiating. And he says, follow me. And to the response, Jesus has given the word, but, B-U-T. And I don't mean to be funny, but our butts get in the way, don't they? They get in the way. Jesus calls us to something. Jesus invites us to be a part of something. But then that little word, B-U-T, but, gets in the way. But I got to do this. But I got to do that. But the time isn't convenient, God. And so what Jesus says is, okay, let me listen to your butts. And what does he say? Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, that's a reasonable excuse. The guy's dad probably has died, and he wants some moments to be with him. But most scholars believe that this isn't Jesus saying to us as people that we shouldn't hold funerals and only be about the kingdom of God. Most scholars believe that this guy's dad hasn't died. In fact, why would he be with Jesus if, in fact, his father has died? And so many scholars believe what he's saying is, is let me fulfill my commitment to my family, and then I will fulfill my commitment to you, God. Now that altogether would bring a response that Jesus would say, let the dead bury the dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see, this man said, listen, I've got a life to maintain. I've got commitments that that I need to stay true to. And once those commitments are done, once it seems convenient, then I'll serve you. Then I'll honor you. Then I'll do as you're asking. And God says, let life go. What I want you to focus in on is I want you to focus in on doing mission, living on mission for me. And in doing so, 
It may mean some things become secondary. At one point, Jesus is told while he's preaching in a home that his mother, his brothers and sisters are at the door. And the person says, in essence, listen, Jesus, stop your talking because your family showed up. It's time for family time. And Jesus' response kind of confuses us because Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? How would you like to say that to your mom? Who are you, woman? But that's exactly what Jesus says. And what he, then he responds, whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven is my mother, my brother, my sister. And what Jesus is declaring is the good versus the greater. There is great good in having earthly kinships and family. I am incredibly and will be eternally thankful for the family God's given to me. But my family should never trump my relationship and the mission God gives me. Listen very carefully. I love to do the will of my father, Bill Bedall, but he should never have carte blanche to trump what God the Father in heaven says to me. Now, am I to honor them? Yes. Am I to support and care for them? Yes. But that is not my mission in life, is to maintain the well-being of my parents. It's a duty. But my job is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so this is how life goes. We get uh, get old enough to start doing ministry, and we say, you know what, I'll start doing ministry after I get married. And then we go and get married, and someone asks us to do ministry, and then we say, well, I'll do it uh, once the kids kind of grow up. We're in diapers right now, and your time isn't right. And so we wait, and then the kids' activities start coming in, and we say, you know, it's not a right time. We're running Johnny and Sally to here and there. Uh, we'll get you after the kids graduate from high school, and we'll have some time to breathe. But then it's empty nest time, and, and it's time for me and the, the young lady to go and, uh, and to go visit this and travel here. We'll do it when we retire, when we've got a little extra time. And then when we retire, we're too tired to do ministry. Far too many of us determine our service to God only to when it's convenient. And what God is saying is His serving, honoring, and following me will be altogether inconvenient for you. If your priorities and the maintenance of your life is number one instead of me, are you choosing maintenance over mission? Finally, are you choosing an uncertain mind or an undivided heart? Verse 61 and 62. After the, Jesus responds to the second individual, yet another, verse 61, said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say farewell to those at my home. That is his family. So he says, Jesus, I'll go with you. But what I need to do, Jesus, is I got to go get permission. I got to go get affirmation. I got to go get someone who says it's okay for me to do because they have bearing in my life. And so he says, listen, I'm going to go home and check with my family. I'm going to talk with them and say, hey, mom and dad, hey, brothers and sisters, I'm going to go leave our life here and I'm going to go follow Jesus. What do you think about that? Can you release me to do that? Is that okay with you? And Jesus says, listen, that is a double mind. Because you're being waved to and fro by the waves of public opinion of those closest to you and what Jesus is calling you to do. And so notice what Jesus says. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That comes from the story of Elisha 
where Elisha leaves all that he has and follows and becomes the, um, if you will, the intern of Elijah the great prophet. And then Elisha in his own right becomes a great prophet of God and he leaves everything and he doesn't turn back. It's like the old hymn writer says uh, that when we uh, turn to Jesus, when we f- decide to follow Jesus, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. And so this morning, are you looking for the affirmation of someone to say, yeah, it's okay. It's okay for you to follow God. Maybe you're asking your mom and dad, is it okay to be a missionary? Is it okay to serve? And they're like, yeah, no, I don't think it is. And you're saying, you know what, God, I'm sorry, but my mom and dad say it's not right for me to be a missionary or for me to go into ministry. We do not simply listen to those closest to us when God is speaking. Do we take their words into consideration? Yes. But Jesus was saying, the Son of God was saying, follow me. And the only thing that the guy could think of was, what would my family say? Discipleship. What is Jesus saying about it? You have a choice to make. Discipleship is a choice. Will you choose comfort or the cross? Will you choose maintenance over mission? Will you decide to choose uncertainty or an undivided heart? Now remember what we're trying to do in this series. Which one of these individuals are you? Which one of these individuals is Jesus using to speak to you right where you're at? Which area of discipleship are you struggling with? If so, start listening to what Jesus is saying. Hear his words and start having a conversation where you take your concerns, you take your challenges, you take your obstacles, you take all the things that are keeping you from truly following God and start having a conversation through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to ask the question, God, I don't want to be like these guys. And here's the thing, Luke doesn't give us any indication that any of these guys followed Jesus. So it seems like they kind of got started in the right path, But the cost of discipleship became too, too much. Is the call of discipleship too much for you? Use these as examples. Use these as opportunities to ask the very questions that Jesus is asking and ask the question, am I one of these men? And if so, God, what must I do so that I might follow you without any question so that I may honor and glorify you in all that we do? Three men, three conversations. One Lord. One Lord who reminds us that the calling of being a disciple isn't easy. And it will be hard at times. But if we choose the cross over comfort, if we choose mission over maintenance, if we choose an undivided heart over uncertainty, God says, I will meet you in that decision. I will meet you in that endeavor. And I will give you everything you need along the path. Will it be hard? Yes. Will it be uneasy at times? Yes. But it will be altogether fulfilling when we turn our eyes to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for uh, the opportunity once again to be in your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to hear from your son, Jesus. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 1 that says, We have heard through the prophets in various ways you speak to us, but in these last days you've spoken to us through your son. And so we are so very thankful that Jesus would come, live life, and show us the way to you, our Father in heaven. Thank you that you gave him all that uh, we in him all that we need to be able to live life in a way that will glorify and honor you. 
Lord, I thank you for uh, what you're doing in our midst. I thank you for the deep and profound conversations that happen each and every time we gather together. And I pray, Lord, that a series like this may provoke us and compel us to live a little differently than we have before. That we may impact not only our own lives, but the many, many lives we come in contact with. Thank you, Jesus, for these examples. Give us the power and the strength to uh, serve you and honor you with all that we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.